Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. My guest today is Dr. Jack Endy, and Dr. Endy is the president of the American College of Physicians, which is the largest medical specialty organization in the United States. And he joins me today to discuss a statement that was released by the ACP on October 2nd of this year, uh, one day after the mass shooting in Las Vegas. And this was a statement that follows a lengthy tradition from the American College of Physicians in pressing the issue of gun violence and policies to reduce injury and death from firearms. This was a really interesting conversation on a very challenging and very fraught subject. We reference a couple of different articles during the conversation. All of these articles are linked on the website, so feel free to go to www.explorethespaceshow.com. You'll see the post there, and you can click on the links to read the articles for yourself. Please feel free to subscribe to Explore the Space Show on iTunes and to please provide a review as well. It goes a long way to helping people find the work that we're doing here. And without further ado, Dr. Jack Endy. Dr. Endy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, my pleasure, Mark. Glad to be here. So we have a very fraught, complex, and challenging issue that the ACP has been immersed in for the greater part now of two decades. And that's the subject of gun violence in the United States. What, what brought you and I together is the statement that was released by the ACP, the American College of Physicians on October 2nd of this year, uh, in the wake of the Las Vegas shooting. But this is a subject that is familiar ground for the American College of Physicians, the subject of gun violence as a critical issue of public health. Let's start with the ACP's role in taking on the issue of gun violence because it's been going on for a long time. The, the ACP has been immersed in this discussion for two decades plus. What has what was the genesis of that and how has the ACP tried to stay involved, stay engaged, and steer the conversation over the last two decades? The the college has has always had an expanded view of the determinants of disease. We really do appreciate the importance of social determinants of disease and understand that if we're going to take care of our patients well, we have to be aware and be on top of things that will affect them in terms of safety, violence, accidents, things like that. So gun violence certainly fits within that expanded model of the determinants of illness. And so what we're really talking about here is, as described in the statement from October 2nd, this is a public health issue. This is a population health issue, just like we would address diabetes or wearing safety belts or applying sunscreen. Would you say and would the college feel like gun violence and the risk factors associated with gun violence would fit right into that same continuum of care as we're, as we're helping manage anything that can cause harm? Absolutely. And in fact, that's, uh, that's often used as our lever for asking patients about weapons at home, guns at home, and safety related to, to gun violence. Because we do believe in the importance of asking patients about seatbelts, about radon detection, 
about um, other rugs and safety issues at home. So having a gun at home is important for physicians to be aware of. It's important for physicians to be aware of patients who are at risk for gun violence. So this becomes a part of the regular database that physicians collect. So we have this one lane now where physicians are interacting with their patients on this you know, individual level to, to discuss gun violence. And then we have the college, especially over the last couple of years in the wake of recurring tragic events, issuing provocative statements, the 2015 call to action that was in the annals of internal medicine. It's available mm -hmm. for free online. There'll be links to it on, on the podcast website. That was one. I remember when that one came out, this was the American College of Physician, seven other health professional organizations, and the American Bar Association. And the American Bar Association. We were quite proud of that. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was the, the, their, their role was to say that these recommendations, this isn't pie-in-the-sky stuff. This is constitutionally sound recommendations. That was a big moment. I remember when that came out. Did that cause any sort of impact? Do you remember when that came out, how did that sort of get into the mix in the conversations around guns and gun violence? Well, I think it did have real impact. Uh, and by the way, it had uh, local impact within the college itself. You know, the uh, American College of Physicians has 152,000 physician and medical student members. We are in blue states, purple states, red states. Many of our uh, members are gun owners. And there was concern uh, among membership about why in the world is the ACP getting involved in this. So we, uh, we heard from some members, but the majority, the vast majority, including our members who are gun owners, really supported this. Um, as your listeners need to know, gun violence is more than just the mass shooting that we unfortunately hear about on a all too frequent basis. It's a daily event. Um, I believe the number is around 90 deaths per day from homicide and from suicide related to firearms. This is a real public health issue. So with that, the college really did feel empowered to move forward and take the positions that it did. One of the great things about the 2015 article is that it broke out the complexity of this, but it also simplified it into saying this should be approached just like we approach any other issue related to population health. What is the background? What are the various factors that drive it? What are evidence-based interventions that are proven to reduce risk of harm? What are things that we can identify that can increase risk of harm? So it put it into that same sort of template that at least people in healthcare are familiar with. The other thing about it is it struck me as being unemotional. It struck me as being a detached article, which again, I think is absolutely vital because it's such a fraught subject that you need that objective approach to say, look, here are, here are the issues and let's start to work them through in the same way with the same process that we use to address any other pub public health or population health issue. That's correct. And, and that's sort of typical of how the American College of Physicians uh, handles the positions that it chooses to take. We do our very best to be evidence-based. If there's not evidence that uh, asking patients about guns at home, or if there's not evidence that certain 
populations are at particular risk for gun-related violence, then that's not a, a policy that we're going to engage in. But when there is evidence there, that's when we do our best to swing into action and try always to put our patients first and to come up with uh, interventions that we think will lead to safer, healthier lives. So having laid those things out, after the shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, the American College of Physicians called on Congress to say, look, there's time now that we need for legislation to ensure the safety of Americans by reducing the threat of injury or death from firearms. And then again, after the Las Vegas shooting, the same sort of statement was made. But when I read the statement after the Las Vegas shooting, there were a couple things that really struck me about it. One of them was the one of timing. That statement was released almost immediately. The, the, the shooting transpired on the night of October 1st. The statement was written and released the next day. To me, that says the college got together quickly and said, we need to, we need to put our foot down. We need to draw a line in the sand and get, in front, get ourselves out there as leading the charge because this, this is, it's enough already. <laughs> I know, and I think we've heard that from our political leaders, and we've heard it from so many other figures in America. Enough is enough. We, And there's a sense of frustration as well that here we go again, still another mass shooting, you know, on top of Columbine, on top of Aurora, on top of Sandy Hook, um, and that we have to do more. So the college was prepared with that statement because we take our policy statements very seriously. And once the college has policy on something, it's part of its um, data bank. And when something like this does happen, we have a very talented, engaged staff in Washington, D.C. that uh, quickly make a decision that the college really needs to get the word out there. But then we're trying very hard to go beyond the mass shootings and the, uh, the Las Vegas and the Orlandos to make this, to make people appreciate that firearm violence is a daily threat and that it's something that the physicians community should be engaged with and patients should be not surprised. They should be prepared, even welcome their doctors inquiring about their safety related to firearms. So that brings up a sensitive point, the issue of physicians and healthcare providers being able to discuss access to guns, training with guns, availability of guns with their patients, because there is a phenomenon of physician gag rules. And how much of an impediment in this education, in this approach to population health, have these gag rules that are sort of scattered around the United States where physicians don't feel freely able to discuss guns and gun violence with their patients, how much of an impediment has that been to mitigating this daily occurrence? I think, Mark, that the gag rules have been, uh, with the exception of Montana, um, are really no longer operative. And credit the American College of Physicians, as well as several other organizations that got an injunction in Florida um, pre uh, overriding the gag rule. And supporting the physician's first, first Amendment rights, which is the right to free speech. Um, so the associating physicians inquiring about guns with a violation of the Second Amendment, amendment uh, no longer holds. So this can happen again, uh, but I 
they're really, of all the impediments, and there are several, to uh, having physicians ask about guns, the gag rules would be way down on the list. That's, that really shouldn't preclude a doctor including this in the database. I think that that is a vital piece of information because it's not just that the doctors can't ask about it, but the patients can bring it up as well. That people, when they come to the mm-hmm. office, if this is something that's on their mind, if they're scared of it, if they're worried about it, if they have concerns or they need to learn, just like with any other subject, they can bring this up. And if their physician and the physician teams that they're working with are able to guide them, they will. And if not, they can get them to the places that they need to. But it shouldn't be a subject that any, either side of the equation feels like mm-hmm. is untouchable. Correct. You know, there are, we talk about difficult things all the time. We talk about um, how much are you drinking? We talk about sexual practices. We need to know which of our patients are gay and which of them are straight. Um, we need to know which of our patients are using illicit drugs, who has had suicidal thought, who's been the victim of violence at home, who's been the perpetrator of violence. These are all difficult subjects, and asking about guns um, should be put in that context. And in, in certain ways, that wonderful white coat really does give you the authority to engage in these subjects. It has to be done tactfully. It has to be done neutrally. It has to be done uh, as a professional would do it. But certainly this um, this needs to be part of the conversation we have, not with every patient and not every time. But if a patient has risk factors for firearm violence, or if you um, think they may uh, own a, a, a gun at home, and certainly there's no stigma to having a gun, that should be included. And then you build the history from there. If somebody does have a firearm at home, then you really do have to talk about safety particularly if they have children at home or they have adults with cognitive problems, then making sure that uh, all appropriate safety measures have been taken becomes very critical. Over the course of my career, I've had a number of conversations with patients around their facility with guns, their access to guns, and you know they've run the gamut, and I think most physicians who are comfortable discussing this would say the same thing, that sometimes it's you know, the family member saying, gosh, doc, we really need some help. We're trying to get the guns out of the house, but we're meeting a lot of resistance to the patient saying, you know what? I've had it. I don't feel comfortable around them. Can someone help me get rid of these? Can someone help me get rid of them? And then I've had patients say, doc, I'm not talking about this. There's no way that gun is leaving my house. I know how to use it. I'm safe with it. And I'm not talking about it anymore. So just like with any other subject that we discuss, it becomes really complex and fraught and the physicians, the nurses, the case managers, whomever it is that's discussing this needs to be very well equipped because the the sensitivity of the subject will lead to some very, very challenging things to unwind. Absolutely. But physicians need to know that it's not about 100%. Yeah. We When we bring up alcohol, we don't expect everybody to stop drinking. And, uh, you know, we we have a whole process of trying to discern whether somebody's ready to make a change, whether they're motivated to make a change, whether they have a capacity. And if they're not, just like alcohol, just like smoking, well, that's where that's about as good as you could do. But the other fascinating thing is that you've made a deposit. 
when you bring up somebody's drinking or smoking, you've made a deposit which might lead to success later on. And as long as you could do that without causing any harm, without insulting anybody, without um, having a negative effect upon the physician-patient relationship, then that is a 30-second inquiry that is well worth doing. Because whereas it's not, you're not going to uh, change somebody's gun ownership practices 100% of the time, there actually are data that show that patients welcome that conversation and more importantly, that counseling a patient about you have a three-year-old, you have to get that gun unloaded, you have to get that gun put in a safe, you have to take these measures, that really can make a difference. There are a couple things in what you were just saying that I want to unpack a little bit. One of them is that point around the 100% that you mentioned, because I want to take this back more to the strategic view, back to the statement from October 2nd. The ACP, it didn't feel like in this statement is saying that 100% of guns in the United States need to go away. This is a recommendation on how to reduce gun-related violence and specific firearms and specific accessories that go along with specific firearms that amplify the risk, you know, many, many, many fold. And I think that that part of the statement is, is really, really vital the second part of it is, is that this statement, again, this is that chipping away, right? This is saying, this is a short intervention. This is a huge problem, but we're not giving up. We're going to keep talking about this. We're going to keep pushing. Is that part of the subtext of this article? Is that part of the subtext of this statement? It is in the sense that these efforts on the part of the physician are well worth his or her time. Uh, and if you don't have 100% success with each and every intervention, that st doesn't mean that you should give up and consider this futile. We have to move the needle. We have to change the trend. Homicide is about flat, I believe. Suicide is going up, particularly in white men, particularly in white men over 70, particularly in white men over 70 with recent depression, loss, and you comp uh, confound that with heavy drinking, and you really have somebody who you're worried about. But we need to intervene to see if we could make a difference and uh, bring those numbers down. This is a significant public health issue. Hearing that statement is difficult because our community in Northern California was recently devastated by a series of massive wildfires followed by the unfortunate suicide of a dentist in town who used a firearm to commit suicide. And it was just a devastating thing. A man who was known and loved by this community, and it's just a huge loss. Yeah, yeah. I've mentioned alcohol. I've mentioned substance abuse. I've mentioned depression, prior violence, but also, and perhaps pertaining to the unfortunate dentist whom you mentioned, major stress. Yeah. And those are the people who are at risk for suicide. And there it really is the obligation of the physician. If When you see somebody who is seriously depressed or under a great deal of stress, to ask about firearms at home. So we've set the stage, I think, for how this one-on-one -on -one interaction 
can continue. And obviously, it's a huge conversation, and there's so much work to be done in educating physicians to feel comfortable talking about this and to understand how to, as you say, move the needle. But from the population perspective, from the perspective of the American College of Physicians, the leading physician advocacy group in the United States, moving the needle on the larger scale, issuing a statement like the one of October 2nd, what was the response to that? When when the ACP pushes, is there pushback? Does momentum build? What happens when the statement like this comes out and then, you know, now that we're a few months down the road? I think it. Uh, we get our best response from our members. Uh, our members get engaged because we typically couple our uh, statements with things like toolkits, advice, how physicians can really make use of the uh, it, of the momentum that has been generated around the specific issue. And in the the example of gun violence, there really has been a major uptake among our members who are now beginning to incorporate this into their database. A very interesting article by Dr. Um, Wintermoot was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, uh, and this was just recently, October um, 17th. Garen Wintermoot, a uh, epidemiologist and emergency medicine physician at University of California, Davis, it's entitled what you can do to stop firearm violence. That article came out with record speed. The Annals of Internal Medicine really fast-tracked this. And in the article, he does something very interesting that Mark, the physician members of your uh, audience might take a look at. He asks you to make a commitment. On page two of his uh, ideas and opinions piece, it, there's a opportunity to log on electronically to make a commitment to ask your patients about firearms to become part of this movement, if you will, and to help develop a real growing database of physicians who are engaged in this process. That's the kind of thing that the American College of Physicians and uh, in association with its journal, the Annals of Internal Medicine, can do to really engage physicians. Next step, of course, is to move forward politically. That's going to take more time. That's going to, um, you know, take more engagement. But we have a wonderful staff in D.C., and this has really become a part of our platform. So as we meet with members of Congress, both the House and the Senate, people will know that the ACP regards this as a critical health issue. Having been so forward-facing on this issue, where does the pushback come from? And Or is there much pushback? Does the ACP get blowback when it's taking this sort of a stance in terms of education, in terms of visibility? Is there pushback, and where does it come from? Well, the NRA, of course. Uh, I cannot say that the NRA contacts the American College of Physicians on a regular basis, but I am certain that they are monitoring what we're saying. They read our literature. Um, so there's, uh, there is that pushback. Anybody who works in the uh, firearm space will... Um, know that the NRA is trying to move things in a different direction. Um, beyond that, Mark, I really cannot uh, say. Um, I, 
I'm also sure that there are legislators who are who would take a different position than the American College of Physicians on gun violence, and there probably there are members who believe that we may be a little bit too far out in front on this issue. But the college formulates its policy, as mentioned, based upon evidence, and we do it with the uh, through the membership process. We take policies when our members bring forward a resolution in this direction. That resolution receives the attention of membership. They can comment on it. It goes to the Board of Governors and ultimately goes to the Board of Regents. The, the, our policy papers and statements do not just go out from staff. They're approved by the Board of Regents, and the Board of Regents is there to uh, express the um, membership and also to always try to fill, fulfill our mission of improving health care through professionalism and excellence. It's a, it's a hefty weight that the ACP has taken on in, in addressing gun violence, but this is why we have organizations like the ACP. This is why we're members, and this is why we pay dues, so that we can have a powerful voice of advocacy when we're looking into the eyes of a huge public health issue. I appreciate that, Mark, and that's one of many reasons why those of us fortunate enough to be in leadership positions are so proud of what we do. There's more work to be done, obviously. I hope that the ACP never has cause again to issue a statement like this. At the same time, it's good for physicians to know that there are resources and that there is some muscle behind education, behind awareness, behind advocacy so that we can continue to, just like with all the other public health issues that physicians deal with and that society has to deal with, that guns and gun violence can be addressed in a similar fashion. I appreciate that. Well said. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and discuss this. And please continue to do the good work that you and the rest of the, the team and leadership at the American College of Physicians is doing. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate that greatly. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.